Hello you, and welcome to the very first episode of Unaffiliated, the podcast all about freelancing and just generally working for yourself. I'm Eve Pullen, a final year digital media student, although given I'm launching this in the midst of our little coronavirus COVID-19 lockdown, my summer semester seems to be stretching out a little longer than anticipated. I've worked for a fair few years before going to university in a variety of industries, after attending art school and dabble in freelance illustration, design and a smidge of photography. But we're not here to talk about just me. My focus for this podcast is to discuss the world of freelancing with other people and their experiences and stories. So each episode will feature a different guest who freelances in some way, discussing what they do, how they got into it and any tips and tricks they may have up their sleeve. You can find me on all the usual social channels. I will link them in the show notes below, along with the website. So do please get in touch through that or by rating and reviewing the podcast. I'd love to hear feedback. And if there are any particular subjects or questions you want to hear about, please let me know. This podcast is designed to be a tool to help. And my very first guest is someone I've known for some time. She's an illustrator and portrait artist based in Southwest England called Hayley Abbott. And her Instagram is at Hayley Abbott Draws. I will link all the info below. Now, obviously, as we are all locked away and hashtag staying home, these interviews that have been planned face to face are all being recorded over web chats. So apologies if the quality is a little fuzzy. I'm sure everyone's getting used to a slightly reduced quality in their media consumption as we all figure out how best to bring things to you remotely. So enjoy, rate, review and subscribe. So Hayley, hi, thank you for coming on and talking to me. I figured first episode would be a good way to start with someone who I've known for a long, long time. It's going on almost a decade. Eight years? Yeah. Yeah. And... Obviously, we met at art school during our foundation year. You, at the time, were already doing freelance stuff. Like, I remember introducing myself to you because we had a mutual friend and being like, you're Hayley, you're the girl who does those printed tote bags with the art on them. And just being so impressed that someone had actually got their shit together enough to be vlogging stuff at age, what, 18? Yeah, but then you learn the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, you're an artist, you're an illustrator. How did that start? And I know we all have the... Well, I've always loved art and I've always loved drawing. (laughs) (laughs) I was a child. Um, But no, that's the truth. I have always wanted to do something in the arts. It's always changed. The first thing I ever wanted to be was a fashion designer. So I was always like drawing like little fashion sketches and stuff like that, mainly because I just couldn't get the proportions of the body right. <laughs> and I was like, do you know, I can work with this. Um, and then I used to like, I used to watch movies and I would illustrate them. So I'd like write out the story and then do like little illustrations. It drove my family nuts because I watched Labyrinth about 20 times a day, just pausing it and like the bits that I really wanted to draw, which was like about every 30 seconds. So, yeah, but no, my family were just always really sort of into it. Like they they just really wanted me to do something artistic. My uncle wanted me to be a writer. Um, but yeah, no, so family just really encouraged me, which was great. 
and I wasn't very academic. <laughs> <laughs> I think we will end up there somehow. They're like, do we encourage them to do the sciences really well? Or, oh, God, they like drawing. Okay, excellent. <laughs> oh, good. They've got some artistic talent. That's great. <laughs> she is going nowhere with the maths. <laughs> You just sixth form at the college, didn't you? Yeah, so sixth form is probably where I started taking it seriously. Um, I wasn't good at school. I wasn't good at sixth form. I just, I didn't like being there and I didn't like having specific things to do. To this day, I still am not great at taking instructions. <laughs> but yeah, so... Sixth form, I was really lucky in my second year that I was the only person on the art course. So I had one-to-one tuition and my tutor was actually a working artist. So she wasn't just a teacher. Um, She only did that like two days a week. And the rest of the time she was actually like a working landscape watercolour artist. So that was really cool because it meant like on weekends and stuff, she'd be like, oh, I'm... I'm doing a showing at this gallery. Come along to the viewing. And oh, I'm going to go to this gallery. Why don't you come along? Bring your friends. And so I kind of got a little bit more immersed in the world of art. And then she actually sort of pushed me to take instruction. <laughs> like she just, can I swear? She took no shit from me. So like in my first year, my tutor had just would just roll over if we were like I don't want to do that she'd be like okay fine whereas Abby was just I don't care if you want to do it you've got to do it figure out your own way to do it but you have to do this specific task yeah so that was really good because it just it did open me up it forced me to look at different ways of dealing with things and like up until that point, I'd never actually like worked in watercolors or anything. I'd never even experimented with other mediums aside from like graphite or just like your standard pencil or whatever. So yeah, second year of college is probably when I started taking it seriously. And then obviously we went on to the foundation year. Just when I say year, I mean two months. <laughs> oh yeah, you never, yeah, no, you never finished, did you? No, I dropped out fairly quickly. I was <laughs> <laughs> so learning to take instruction didn't didn't stick. Obviously. Yeah, you met Tracy and she was like, right, let's get some stuff done, and you went, nope. Which is a shame. Like looking back on it now, I wish I'd stuck it out, but here we are. I think we all got to that point, and I I get to that point repeatedly in education. You know this with the random year I did up in in Leeds, and then summer <laughs> the holidays was like, nope. Nope, I'm moving back down south. I can't do this. And I um, reminded myself that actually I just have, I just get like itchy feet. I yeah. don't have long summer holidays having worked for years. I'm not used to having more than like a couple of days off. Weeks <laughs> off, And I will climb the walls. I'm not okay with it. But yeah, I had that with foundation year where I remember I was having conversations about like, oh, I don't like this. I don't like the way this is done. And I just, gritted my teeth and my my parents were like look if you get this done you've got the qualification of your belt yeah so I mean you went off and did you still kind of worked in the creative and she just was in a separate yeah so I kind of just went off and I was like do you know I can't, I can't remember it's so long ago <laughs> I got to that age where I'm like 
what did I do that year? Mm-hmm. I think I went off and worked part time at that point. I think I just ended up working on a bar. Mm-hmm. And that was just, I just wanted to get out of education at that point. So I did kind of give up on all the creative stuff and just worked for a little while, which I probably just needed to get out of my system. So, you know, I, I, I don't know any creative that's not gone through that thing, especially if you've been in a situation where whether it's you didn't like or education where you're being forced to do stuff that you don't want to do, like you don't hate it that much, but it, it uses up all of your like your creativity you get home at the end of the day and you're like I don't even want to do my own personal work like I yeah. I'm sick of it yeah pretty much like you're because you're you're sat there forced to do creative stuff and in a way that's really counterintuitive like if you're creative it's because you're inspired and you're doing stuff because it's like coming from you organically whereas if you're sat in a classroom being forced to do xyz while also being like compared to others it's 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 not i don't know it just doesn't compute with me that's how they do it so yeah i mean even though i've stuck out and decided to go back into university education which we never thought would happen um i still think like the ticking boxes process which you know a, a creative degree is run pretty similar way to a history degree, an engineering degree, anything like that. Like there's still boxes you've got to tick in order to make it worthy of a degree level qualification. Yeah. Um, and we sort of were halfway there with the foundation year, like a pre-degree year, where just the, the the hoops you have to jump through don't coincide with how you actually work with the creative. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I've said it to you before. I've definitely said it to other people before where I do think studying a creative subject, whether it's, you know, art, anything like that, the way you have to tick the boxes in order to get the qualification is not how you practice in real life. The way you drive for a driving test. Yeah. Pass a driving test is not how anyone actually drives on the road. No. <laughs> but you just have to learn to do it the specific way. And then after that, you can just eat the handbook out the window. <laughs> yeah. And get on with actually living your life a bit more. It took me seven years to learn to drive. So that analogy probably fits really well. Obviously, you like took a bit out, spoke time out. Same as I did after foundation year, where I had a place to do illustration at uni, got a summer job, ended up deferring for a year and then never went. For, so wait, this full time money thing is actually quite good. Yeah, I yeah. Some money, which I think is why, as much as the like the trope of the starving artist <laughs> who will just live in squalor and deal with anything as long as they get to create, is just not true for most people in it. No, I mean the the aesthetic of it is like <laughs> spot on. We love it, but yeah, basically, I ended up sort of being like do I want to live a specific kind of life or do I want to sit and make art all the time Mm. and I clearly chose one I mean yeah like I love the idea of not worrying about my material possessions you know not have not having like this nice like place to live or whatever and just 
like you say, just living like this little starving artist, traveling around. We have like a little studio apartment in Paris or something like that. Yeah, the dream. The actual dream, but also maybe not my dream. (laughs) (laughs) I would not be able to fit all my stuff, even my art stuff, in a tiny little studio apartment. Like it takes up too much room. I just, I don't know how they do it. I really don't. (laughs) Because they all seem to have these little studio apartments in places like Paris or London or whatever. And I'm like, they probably pay more for their rent than I do anyway. I don't don't get it. (laughs) I get it when it's men because they tend to be a bit more minimal with their belongings. You watch a creative woman. I look at that and I'm like, lies. You have storage lockers somewhere. Full yeah. of your crap. You, you have so many. I just know it. You can't hide it. Yeah, literally. Like, there is no woman, creative woman, who could possibly Marie Kondo her life. It just, it's not going to happen. It's not mutually exclusive. It's yeah. Just- <laughs> <laughs> and don't get me wrong, I love both. But I know which group I fall into. So working, not doing anything creative and all the things like that. And then what changed and when? I think what changed was, I mean, I feel like you can take sort of little breaks. But I think when you're, when you really have this kind of like creative side ingrained in you, I don't think you can ever give it up forever. So you take these natural breaks, but you do always emanate back to it. And at the time I was living with my dad and my boyfriend who are both musicians. So I was consistently surrounded by like this, like creative energy anyway. And so, yeah, I just kind of drifted back and I, I guess that's when I just started thinking like, I need to start looking at what I actually want to do, what I want to, like, have as my look. Like, how am I going to advertise myself and that kind of thing? I think starting to look at it from more of, like, a business point of view. Yeah. Eased me back into doing the whole, like, creative thing. And I was really lucky in that house as well that we had a spare room, which we just sort of transformed into half music studio half art studio so yeah just kind of I guess I just eased myself back in I was like I don't want this to be something where I'm killing myself over it because at the time I thought that's what I desperately wanted I wanted to be able to support myself on my artwork but I also was just like I don't know it just I didn't think it was necessarily something I could do with whatever project I'm doing that's you, that's always my like my springboard is uh, you give yourself a mission statement yeah um and you sort of outline what you want to do what you want to achieve and that gives you a touchstone to come back to yeah so I was reading like loads of books like marketing books and books like written by illustrators or sort of like you know this is how you make it into an actual business and this is how you know you work on branding and this is how you approach people and all of this and it was it was good in a way because I realized that although I do I do love illustration I love animation that kind of thing 
um, is kind of when I realized that maybe that's not where I'm at because that's not my style. That's not how I draw. It's not how I paint. Like I had quite a specific style that is changed a little bit over the years, but not massively. And you sort of start to learn where your skills are best used. So I think I spent a good couple of years there just trying to figure out like what I actually wanted, like what specific role I saw myself in. Like I wanted to look into sort of book illustration and stuff like that. But I think for that, you need to work a lot from imagination, which is not something I do. I'm very much like an observational artist. So it was a lot of figuring myself out, <laughs> finding myself. Your gap here was in southwest England, not Thailand. <laughs> but you discovered yourself nonetheless. It was in my own house, drinking a lot of wine and moping. And yeah, I, I was living the artist's life. I mean, you know, I was living with my parents. <laughs> I was drinking maybe a bit too much <laughs> with with my musician boyfriend. I mean, you couldn't write this. <laughs> I mean, you could. It's like every story ever. Have, but <laughs> so, how did you start getting clients? Did it start with the traditional friends and family, and sort of trying to sort of get them to do a bit of the? You always start with giving the family a little nudge, and just being like, "Listen, support me." Or I will make your life hell. <laughs> I will be here forever. <laughs> forever. Literally. I mean, it's like you said, like I have I've always dipped in and out of these different types of art. So like you said, when we first met, I was obviously doing like the printed tote bags and stuff like that. Um I've ended up doing you know, portraits like wedding portraits. I've done just generally like friends and family portraits, pet portraits. So because I've done so many different things, you kind of get different client bases mm. and where you find them. So, I mean, things like the bags, they actually started back on MySpace. I used to, I started with t-shirts. They gradually like ended up as bags. Um, and yeah, it was literally first off, obviously just selling them to like friends, family, whatever. It it grows quite organically. You move on, like, then your parents' friends want some, and then your friends of friends want some, and stuff like that. And, I mean, I loved MySpace because as soon as one thing kicked off, like, everyone wanted it. Yeah. So that was quite nice. You don't, I don't think you have things like that anymore. Like, with, everyone had a t-shirt brand at one point on MySpace. Oh, God, <laughs> everyone was, like, hand-printed t-shirts. Oh my god, I love a screen print. So, yeah, I mean, I'm literally taking the mickey out of myself here because that's <laughs> literally what I did. You were t-shirt printing before it was cool, before it was mainstream. We get it. And I mean, I was the sucker. I didn't even have screen printing at home. I was literally hand painting everything. <laughs> so I was spending hours at like my dining table with just pots of fabric paint and I'd only have like four colours because it's all I could afford to buy that week. <laughs> I'm constantly like stalking through Amazon trying to find offers on Dylon fabric paint. So in a way, I'm glad that's not a thing anymore. Uh, yeah, so I guess from there, I then obviously moved on to 
art and paper, which was very much that is your standard. You start with your friends and family and you go, you're like creeping on people like, can I draw you? Please. <laughs> like literally my business cards that I've got now are a picture that I've painted of Gemma. So, like, for people listening, that's, like, my best friend. I make her sit and pose for pictures, like, all the time because I've got no one else to draw. <laughs> so, so that's also another way in is you start painting people. They have to post it on their Instagrams and social media channels, and it just grows. Appeal <laughs> to the ego always. <laughs> exactly. I am all about appealing to people's worst nature. Absolutely. The pet portraits, though, was a great one because everyone, people love their pets more than they love their children. People will spend more money on pet portraits. Yeah, completely. We'll spend a ridiculous amount of money on pet stuff. And I say yeah. this going, we both do it. We both spend an extortionate amount on stuff for our pets. Yeah. I'm not going to stop. Absolutely not. That was the one that, like, the client base exploded a lot better than anything I've ever done. But it's just, <laughs> I don't know, people take it so personally. And I'm like, I can't do this because if that doesn't look like your dog, then I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Fine when it goes well, but when you do it badly and you're like, I can't come back from this. <laughs> no. No, unless you sit and draw it about five times over and you just look at all of them like, which is the least offensive? (laughs) (laughs) Which will they actually give me real life money for? How are you working out your price? You said you were reading books. Were you sort of going from, was there information in those? Because I find it's, for illustration specifically, it's so difficult to find anyone who'll admit to how they price. Oh god, it's and then you feel bad, uh, want to raise it a bit once you realise undercharging, and then yeah. it's like, oh, but you did it for this much for so and so. Yeah, so it is really hard because, like you say, there are so few people that will actually talk about how much they charge, um, like where, whether they're charging per hour, whether they're charging per drawing. Like it seems like a really taboo subject in like any area of art people just don't discuss it and I mean personally I don't know why I'm quite open with sort of how I price and things like that because probably because people don't talk about it and because when I started I would be trying to chat to so many people and be like listen I'm so lost I don't know where to begin charging I don't know what to charge Uh, should I be charging per hour should I be charging depending on what I'm drawing or so it is really difficult I know people who do charge per hour I know people who charge like per square inch which that's that's too much math for me I can't deal with that you do Um, per square inch as well if it's just a block color <laughs> yeah, literally colour. Or even like if it's just a blank bit of the paper, like you haven't even drawn on that bit. Because like, it's got a really big bleed around that, it just needs it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it looks really great with just a plain white background. Yeah, I found that so difficult. Even like you say, the books I was reading, they touch on it, but not a great deal. So yeah, I tend to charge. Depending on 
there, there are quite a few factors. I do it based on sort of the size of the drawing, whether I'm doing it in watercolor, whether I'm doing it ink, pencil, how many figures I'm drawing, that kind of thing. So everything adds up. I've gotten to a point where I know roughly how many hours certain things take me. So you can go, right, I'm going to charge X amount per hour. It's probably going to take me this long. So this is what I'm going to charge. So, for example, like a watercolor is going to take me significantly longer than Indian ink. And both of those take me significantly longer than pencil. It's one of those where it's taken me a long time to figure out how much I'm charging. I undersold myself for a very long time. I was literally charging not even minimum wage. Like when I first started, I was charging, I think like £7.58 an hour. Then being like, okay, well, maybe I took like 10 hours on this, but I'm only going to charge for like six or seven because I don't think it's worth it. And I think that's the trap that a lot of people fall into is they do undersell themselves completely. I'm guilty of it as well. I've done it in the past as well with commissions where you start going, well, it's sort of nine and a bit hours work, but I'll just make it nine hours. Or you start feeling guilty because it's a family member or a friend or someone like that, and you think, right, I'll do it. I'll do some kind of mates rating for it. But your mates rates have still got to cover your time, your materials, if you're posting it to someone, it's got to cover packaging, the postage, time you take to go to the post office. That is still technically time you are working. With. But you've got to be so cutthroat compared to how you want to be. I think yeah. especially like with us, where you start doing things for friends and family members, it kind of does trap you a bit in that mindset. I'm doing this because I enjoy it. And people often sort of take that view with creatives where they're like, but you enjoy doing this. Like, this is your hobby. Surely you yeah. want to do this. Why would I pay for you to do this? Yeah. And I don't think people understand either, like, the stress levels that it can put us under as well. I think people think because, you know, we've been doing this for so long and, yeah, we do it as a hobby as well as maybe something that we do freelance. People think that because we love it, it's not stressful. Whereas it's like, no, we're taking something, especially with portraits, something that is so personal, like that is literally you are depicting this person that they clearly love enough to have a portrait drawn of and you've really you have to work so hard to get it right as well you've got to be proud of it as well hard when you're like a proper perfectionist as well (laughs) and you sit there going it's not quite like they your client could love it like they could be like this is everything i've wanted and more and you're like oh but that that eye is slightly off like i just need to move it like two millimeters over but you've already handed it over and it's like that will haunt me for the rest of my life and as well like you were saying with doing like if it's something you're struggling with if it's particularly animals i don't do particularly well drawing animals i feel other people seem to like them some of the time but it's not something i feel is my strongest do yeah if you're doing a couple of different versions and then editing it and editing it and then scrapping it and starting again that's all time taken yeah like if you're even if you're charging per square inch (laughs) you have to count all of those square inches you've done it might not be the finished piece but that's still work you've put into it yeah yeah exactly like you've spent so many hours and you know even the hours that we spent just 
you know, I've got bits of paper currently around me everywhere where I'm working on like one particular piece and I know I want um, quite like a dramatic background in it and I don't know what colour I want. I don't know how to layer it. So I have got about, I'm just literally just looking around now, I can see at least 12 little sample pieces where you know I've started with one color layered over the top then I've tried some other colors and then other colors you know that's paper I've used that's paint that I've used it's different types of paint it's time I've taken to figure it out and I still haven't figured out which which bloody color I'm going to use on this background and people but people don't take that into consideration because it's not part of the final piece I feel like if people saw my little studio space they might understand a bit more because it's just in like experiments and stuff that's gone wrong so I've like forgotten about it and thrown it away but yeah like people just don't take any of that into consideration reference pictures just to sketch from to me time spent on Pinterest it might not be worth as much per hour per minute as time spent doing it yeah that is still it's still a part of it (laughs) time spent on Pinterest will be looking for something specific Absolutely. It's like, I mean, personally, I don't charge for that kind of time, but I would completely understand people that did because, like you say, it's absolutely, it's time working, it's time you're spending figuring stuff out, especially if a client has come to you with a really specific idea in mind and they haven't brought you any form of reference. It's like, well, you've got to get that from somewhere. You've got to spend time on it. Then you've got to go back, check with them that that's... That's what they're thinking. And, you know, you have so many conversations with your clients as well that at the end of the day, you are basically, okay, you're sat charging for this, what's actually going to be on the piece of paper. They don't even think about the fact you're taking time out of your day to make sure that everything is going to be perfect. You're spending potentially hours talking to these people. And most people don't charge for it. We're kind of moving in a better direction with the transparency of more people talking about this kind of thing. It's not the same, but it is. But I try and to make myself be more cutthroat about my pricing. Um, I always try and think of like, right, so conversations you're having, if you have a phone call or a long text conversation or email conversation with someone, that in a different professional environment, you would have been a meeting in, a, in an office or a boardroom. That would have been charged for sure we're not charging lawyers prices at this point but (laughs) any interaction with a client that they have is billable hours and you have to think of it at the same level as that you know we might not be charging the same thing but we are still your brain is ticking over doing the job all the time and if you're spending time specifically with that client you're not spending it with another client it's it's tricky kind of finding the balance between making it worthwhile you to do it and not not screwing someone over and making them go God, I regret this. This is not what I thought. You know, a one-off piece of artwork is not going to cost you the same as a print off of, you know, a website. Exactly. I think everyone thinks that, you know, a painting is going to be like 15 quid because it's it's A4 and it's on a bit of paper. Like, no. It's hard as well, like, when you're starting out because, you know, your prices are super basic when you start and then you're you're trying to figure out at what point you start putting your prices up at what point you stop charging the mates rates, um, at what point you stop doing things for exposure. I hate things for exposure. I think it's every artist's pet peeve is doing things for exposure. And I think as well, 
social media took a lot of the power away from that in a good way, but it also gave, you know, so we can promote our own stuff on our own yeah. social media channels. But then if someone with a much bigger following, suddenly they have a lot more power and actually ex- free exposure on a page with, you know, 12K followers, suddenly actually that is worth doing something for free. Yeah. This is it, is you have to really start sort of like finding the balance in these things. Like there there have been things where I've drawn and I've painted Instagrammers for, for little to no money because I know that they will they'll, you know, retweet it, regram it, whatever, they'll put it on their stories. And, you know, it's worked. It's it's generated like more followers, it's generated more likes. And and that is great because that is sometimes something that money can't buy. But you really have to sort of weigh up what you're going to do when you're going to do it. With regards to fees, do you charge deposits or kill fees, like a non-refundable deposit? I, I do deposits. It's quite a new thing sort of within the last year or so that I've started doing deposits because you do get a lot of people like a lot of time wasters basically who they really think they want something even when you give them a full price they still seem really keen and then they disappear they do tend to be non-refundable deposits unless there's like a massive issue with something um or you know part with there have been projects where i've started and gone i'm for whatever reason, I'm really sorry, I can't finish this. I will return all of your money. Um, but generally, no, I will take a percentage and it will be non-refundable. I feel like if I was actually doing this, say, full time or 50-50 or anything, I'd probably look at things like deposits completely differently. But as someone who is not sort of like a full time freelancer, I feel like I can... I can wave that little that a little bit more. I think there's such an obsession with like monetizing everything that you can do that you know with any kind of hobby or that takes so much joy out of it. I do not agree with the phrase "do something you love every day for your work and you'll never work a day in your life" because actually it takes the joy out of everything. You've got no escapes if you've yeah. got your hobbies left. What are you doing? Yeah. What in your life is making you happy? <laughs> you can kind of see why artists end up with like vices, like drink or drugs, because they're like, I can't escape any other way. No. And frankly, you know, if you're lucky enough to be in a position where you're still able to create, you're still doing art pieces, and that's just paying for your wine. Yeah. Frankly, I'm not against that. <laughs> I fully support that. Yeah. <laughs> you got any, has any bad experiences? You know, obviously you get the ghosting of people yeah. who, whether it's someone who genuinely is interested in the art uh, and then sort of disappears and you never hear from them again. People kind of sliding into social media DMs supposedly to talk about the art, but actually they're just a dude on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I think. One of the best things I've ever done is creating a separate account for my artwork that has had like, it, it's got a couple of like videos of me working now, but 
right in the beginning, I was like, I'm not putting pictures up of myself. I was like, I'm keeping my personal life and my art life very, very distant from each other. It was, it was a good move, really. <laughs> you also get the people sliding into your DMs who think that just because you draw, you can draw anything. And having to turn people down because you're like, no, this isn't my style. Like, it's not what I do. You know, artists, by a certain point, do have a very particular way of drawing or a very particular subject matter or stuff like that. And it's, it's horrible, especially when it's someone like you know fairly well or it's a friend of a friend. You want to be able to help them. Tattoo designs, that's the worst for me, is when people slide into the DMs and they're like, oh, my God, I really want this tattoo done and I want X, Y, Z. Um, can you design it for me? And I'm like, well, no, A, that's problematic for me. I don't I don't work in the style that you want. It's not going to turn out well. You know, I would not want to see that on your body for the rest of your life. But also that's really problematic for tattoo artists. That is not how most of them, like 90% of tattoo artists will, pro like, they're not keen to have artwork given to them by someone else. If you want a tattoo done by a certain person, get them to draw it for you. You know, like, it's artists supporting artists. People think that we really want this commission because, you know, they want something on their body. And I'm like, no, 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 just go to the tattoo artist. They'll do a great job. And if they don't, maybe don't get them to tattoo you. Yeah, if you don't like their specific style, don't get them to do it. It's not just whether you feel like you do a good job of it. It's whether you want to draw it as well. That's going to be a lot of time and effort that you take up doing that. Yeah. And you say if it's not, if you're not hands to mouth, you don't need that money coming in. You know, yeah. that's a wonderful position to be in. But if you don't need it, you it gives you the luxury of saying, I don't, I don't want to do that. Yeah, exactly. And one thing that sort of as a portrait artist, I find quite a lot is people coming to you and they say, I want a drawing of like, say, me and my husband. And you're like, okay, great. That sounds really cool. Like, send me some reference photos. You'll get the reference photos and you're like, these are great. You know, the excitement when you get a really good photo with really high resolution, like, it makes my day when I get a photo that I can like zoom in on. I'm like, this is, <laughs> this is great. And then they'll turn around and be like, but I don't really like sort of like how my cheeks look or I, I don't like the fact I've got a double chin or I don't like my arms in this one. Like, can you make them smaller? Can you do this? Can you do this? And I'm like, well, no, because then I'm not really drawing you. Like, I am going to draw what I see. And so if you want a picture where you look like, you know, something else, then find me a picture where you look however happy. Photoshop it first and then send yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, I have literally had people where I did have one specific client where I painted what I saw and she came back and she was just like, I'm not really happy. You know, this person looks quite, quite full, quite big. And just to have to turn around to that person and be like, I'm really sorry, but I, I was drawing what I could see. And 
they, they don't like that. <laughs> but you have to be so careful as well with like how you word it and go back and you're just like, okay, but this is, this is what you paid me for at the end of the day. Like, yeah, and some little edits can be made like, oh, here's a reference photo, but I don't want to be wearing that shirt. That's fine. And there's only so much I could do about this. Yeah. If you want a portrait, a portrait is what you'll get. I know that famous portrait artists of eras gone by did incredibly complimentary portraits that supposedly did not look anything like that in real life. Yeah. But they were compensated for that financially very, very, very heavily. If you are going to, like, threaten me with being beheaded... Maybe I will think about it. But, you know, in this day and age, I am not scared of the guillotine. I'm just going to draw what you ask me to draw. So, <laughs> yeah, if you get, if you've got it for a gift for someone and they can't recognize themselves in it, or even if it's something you have up in your own home and people come around, and I've, I've gone around to people's houses before and seen that they've got portraits done of their kids or of them. And sometimes they're really, really good. And sometimes you look at them and you think it's it's a phenomenal piece of artwork. Yeah. But it doesn't look like you. Okay, cliched, but always useful and interesting to see what comes out. What would you give to your younger self? You know, Hayley, who's doing her little tote bags and is sat on MySpace capping away. If you could talk to her now. So, apart from this will fund your wine habit, what would you say? <laughs> oh, do you know what? It's really hard because I think, like, the whole journey, for lack of a better phrase, that I've been on going up and down with my artwork has kind of led me to, like, the position I'm in now, which I'm really happy with. You know, I've tried being full time. I've tried being part time. And I don't know if there's anything I would change, but I would definitely say like confidence is key. And if you haven't got it, fake it. I'm all about the fake it till you make it kind of lifestyle. If you can talk to someone with enough passion, it will come across that you know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I wish I had always done that because now, you know, I love doing like markets and fairs and stuff like that, which I never had the confidence to do back then. When I was doing like the tote bags and stuff like that, I wish I had done more fairs, got out there a bit more actually into the real world, not just internet world. Um, cause even though having like a social media presence is great, actually getting out there and doing things like art markets, craft markets, I don't think there's actually any kind of playing field on the internet quite like those. They're great because you're really immersing yourself into an environment with all these artists and makers crafters you get everything you get every walk of life and I think that's just really helpful to see everyone coming together but all working completely differently like you say you've got people charging completely different amounts you've got people making completely different things you not only are just there completely in awe of everyone but 
you know, you're gaining inspiration, you're gaining secondhand experience from people. So, yeah, I think just the idea of like getting out there, talking to people, whether they're clients, whether they're other artists, anything, just just get out, start talking and yeah, just <laughs> just go and talk to people. If you're in a an environment about a market or an art fair or something like that, you've got a captive audience. Exactly. Those people who are there and looking around, they're there for a reason. So that is that's the best place to advertise yourself, really, because, like you say, those people are there and they are a captive audience because they want art and they want crafts and they want everything you're offering. You've got like the other artists there as well, who I think having other artists, makers, crafters, etc., in your life is just the biggest tool. It's where you learn everything because you're constantly just sharing with each other. I think it was it must be about a year and a half ago that I quit my job basically to go full time freelance, and it was just by chance I ended up in the job that I'm in now. And, you know, even though at the time I thought that that was what I really wanted to do and I really wanted to just do my art full time, at least just for like a year or something, you know, I wouldn't change it. I'm actually really happy in the place I'm in now. So, yeah, even though I had specifically quit my job for the purpose of going into freelancing and painting every day being able to like move around wherever I wanted, like, oh, did I want to be living at my dad's house? Oh, I'm just going to take a trip up to Wales and go and see my mum and go and paint there for a few weeks and then come back and then oh, I'll make go and stay with a friend. At the end of the day, I just went, you know what? I want my own place <laughs> and I want some form of stability. I need some form of stability. Yeah. And I had to put that above this little dream of being the little starving artist. <laughs> okay, amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming and having a chat to me and working through all your problems. And <laughs> like a therapy session. It is. <laughs> it's a shame this could not be done in person, to be fair. But yeah. that is the nature of the beast that is. Miss Rona at the moment. Um, that will be her episode. It will be a we're going to sit down with wine and it will probably be more successful. That would be um, my latest feature in it as well. We can have a guinea pig guest of honour. Absolutely. Who'd be screeching? <laughs> Thank you very much then. Bye. Bye. <laughs>